Oh, thank you for tuning in to the 149th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, want to thank you for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, being recorded in Amherst, New York, Buffalo. The pandemic still goes on. Hope everybody's safe and nobody is uh, having to deal with, whether directly or indirectly, with some of the, the, the tragedies that the coronavirus has provided. I know Carl Anthony Towns, uh, big man, power forward, center for the Minnesota Timberwolves just, Timberwolves, just lost his mother. So prayers out to him, his family. Hope everybody's doing good. Uh, nobody has any loved ones in the hospital. Uh, no, not, not a good thing right now. But going to have a great show for you. Going to have Joseph Masato on. He covers the Oklahoma City Thunder for the Oklahoman. Really interesting interview. We, we kind of talk about Oklahoma Oklahoma City season. Uh, he was, you know, covering the team at, at a point where, you know, they played the Utah Jazz, which kind of goes hand in hand with Rudy Gobert that night that the NBA shut down. So he has a couple of interesting takes on that. We, we talk a little bit because he's an Oklahoman, Oklahoma guy. Westbrook, Harden, Kevin Durant, that they were all on the same team. Just gives a little bit of a fan perspective and a feel for that. Really enjoyed having Joe on the show. So without ado, what I'm going to do for you is we're going to get to the interview with Joe Masato. Cut up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Joseph Masato. He covers the Oklahoma City Thunder for the Oklahoman. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing well. I'm hanging in there. How about you? I'm doing as good as you can be in a, in a corona world, I guess. Same <laughs> here. So the, the first thing I want to ask you is, Right, so the Thunder are kind of in the thick of things, and really kind of the start of this whole Corona thing when they played the Utah Jazz. So just kind of talk about that night, what you were doing, and, and kind of how that kind of all materialized to that they don't play, the Rudy Gobert thing happens, and it kind of shuts down the whole NBA. Yeah, I mean, Oklahoma City was pretty much ground zero for, um, you know, not, not the beginning of the coronavirus, but certainly when I think a lot of people in the U.S. really started to take things seriously. Um, I was on press row for that game in Oklahoma City when the Jazz were in town. And, you know, they had established different media precautions, you know, not getting a certain distance away from players. And, um, you know, but, but nothing was really up until the very beginning of the game. They were about to dip off. National Anthem was over. Introductions were over. And then all of a sudden, you see the Thunder's head medical trainer run to the referees, huddle up with them, and that was really the first sign that something was going on. And from there, Billy Donovan and Quinn Snyder joined the huddle. The players left the court, and fans were still sitting there for about 30 minutes before um, the Athletic was first to report that the season was suspended. So yeah, it was it was just a crazy night. Now, how much shock were you in, personally? Um, how much shock? Yes. Um, well, quite a bit of shock. I mean, you know, that going into that night, I thought to myself that this could be the last game 
the fans were still at the arena. I mean, there was probably sixteen to 17,000 fans there that night in Oklahoma City, and like Golden State had already announced that they weren't going to have fans. So I thought that that might be the last normal game. Um, and, and then the timeline just accelerated so quickly because I don't think any of us realized, okay, if one NBA player um, test positive for the coronavirus, which happened to be Rudy Gobert and then Donovan Mitchell, that the league would have to shut down. That no one was going to be at these games that the game's going to be played. And just the the speed of it all happening was was shocking. And then just, you know, reporting instincts kicking in, like, okay, i got to figure out what's what's going on. i got to get close to the jazz locker room. i got to try to talk to the thunder. And, you know, we were there until right around 2 a.m. that night when the Jazz finally pulled out of the arena after being tested. And um, yeah, it was just a surreal experience. Now, for you kind of, when was it, because I kind of want to know like how this came, because, you know, like as things were kind of going and as, you know, don't want to get too much into into it, but the coronavirus kind of went from Asia to Europe to America. So it, it was all kind of coming, and then college just started, you know, being canceled. So when was it for you that you were kind of like, okay, because then you mentioned the Warriors, they're talking about no fans. It's probably not going to be the regular NBA we all know and love. But then it gets to Rudy, Rudy Gobert testing positive for the virus. When was kind of your feeling like, you know, maybe this, they could just put the kibosh on this whole thing and it can just be done? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think I recognized it uh, in that moment um, when the game was postponed. But I thought to myself, you know, if this game is postponed, how how is there going to be other games? I mean, I, I even looked, one of my first things I did was um, I pulled up the scoreboard for the rest of the NBA that night to see if there were they were still playing games elsewhere. And there was like a game in Dallas that was still being played. And I thought, you know, that's, that's kind of strange that they're not allowing this game to be played, but there's other games going on right now. Um, but obviously the reason was later known because Rudy Gobert had tested positive. And then once that happened, it became clear that they couldn't play games safely. I, I mean, if one team has to quarantine for 14 days because they've been exposed to a teammate, then certainly no games can be played. So that, that became apparent um, quite quickly. And then... You know, you just realize how serious this thing really is, and that it could be months until the next NBA game might be played if the season is even finished. So, just the, the timeline um, accelerated at a speed I don't think anyone really envisioned. Now, you mentioned kind of like we could potentially not see NBA games, and there's been a lot of talk, right? Potentially, it could be in Vegas, like they could have it at. Uh, just one isolated venue. Uh, I've even heard some people say, you know, it's done with the arenas. They might find it at a small local college or something like that. Or I don't know. There's somebody said something like the Lakers training facility. So do you think we will see NBA basketball again for this year? Or, or, or what, what do you think will happen? <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not trying to get out of the question, but I really have no idea. And I don't have any idea because people who are much more well-connected than I am they also don't know. Um, just gut feeling, I would be surprised if this season um, finished. Like, I, I think this could be a year where the 2019-20 season does not have an, an NBA champion. I, I just think, you know, especially if this, if the coronavirus, even if we get past the peak, um, you know, 
medical experts are saying that it could surge back again in the fall, which is theoretically when maybe the season could be suspended. So, so I don't know how we could get back um, to playing NBA games. If it is back, um, I think some of those theories about, you know, all playing in one place, whether it's Vegas or the Bahamas or like a college campus in the Midwest, which I think is what um, Brian Winhorst of ESPN reported. So maybe, maybe that will happen. Um, but, but I don't, I surely don't think now, now here's my question for you, and you mentioned you know there's also people that you don't necessarily know, but here's what I, I would ask. So, do you think the NBA has a timeline? Because at least for me, from the outside looking in, it kind of looks like right. They probably have a set calendar of the way they want to do things, right? And you know they want to recuperate a lot of money, but let's say this drags on, and you mentioned the fall, right? That's when the NFL is going on and college football is going on. And I don't know if the NBA necessarily wants to have their postseason g- going on when, you know, those two sports are going on. I don't know if that's the smart business move. So do you think it could be potential, like, if it waits too long, they're just like, just, just scrap it? Yeah, I, I think the point where it would drag on too long is if it put, I don't think they want to start next season any later than Christmas. I mean, that's a, that's a date that makes a lot of sense. It's like a marquee date on the NBA calendar to begin with. Um, that's, that's when it started during the lockout season of 2011-2012. So, so that day makes sense. If it pushes beyond that, I, I don't know how they could finish this season in time. Uh, ESPN and Bobby March reported today the best-case scenario, and this is absolutely best-case, is that the NBA resumes in early July. So we're still several months away from that. If you're looking at July, you're, you're probably thinking a short playoff series, not going to have seven-game series. Maybe a short, uh, maybe a condensed playoff field, and then you finish the you finish the NBA playoffs by August, um, and, and then delay the draft, and then look at that December start date for next season. Now, I, I kind of what I do want to do is I want to shift to the Oklahoma City Thunder, and just kind of talk about their season because they kind of had a. I was just looking. They they were fifth in the standings in, in in the West, which coming into this year everybody kind of thought, right? Is Chris Ball gonna be traded? Like, what are they gonna do? Is his contracts an albatross? They don't have Westbrook and Paul George anymore. Just a young team. They have a lot of picks, and they've been really freaking good. Just talk about how shocked you were. When when did you kind of realize? Okay, th- this team's kind of real. Um. So probably the turning point of their season, um, I can't point to a particular game, but since Thanksgiving, um, they've pretty much been a top two team in the West, and even up there with the Bucks as far as one of the best records in the NBA. This was a team that started five games under 500 to, to start the season, and it looked pretty much how we all thought it was going to go. I did not think this was going to be a playoff team. At best, I thought they could compete maybe for the eighth seed. Um, is Chris Paul... Uh, could stay healthy and still play at a elite level. Um, he's done that and more. I mean, he's even kind of like a, you know, obviously he's not going to win MVP. But Giannis has wrapped that up, and if he hadn't, LeBron would wrap it up. But he's probably in the top ten of that conversation. He's in, he's in line to make an All-NBA team. And, um, yeah, I mean, if you look back to that already historic Thunder Jazz game that never was, had the Thunder won that game, they would have been fourth in the West. They would have been in line to host a first-round playoff series. So 
this team, you know, more than probably more than any, or right up there with the Grizzlies, exceeded expectations that people had on them before the season. And what about Chris Paul? Do you think has made him so impactful with these young guys? Because this was a team, like I said, a, a lot of people did not expect much of them. And like you mentioned, like he'd be top ten in the MVP voting, and he's playing really well. Do you think it's just the mentality, the culture that he's kind of keeping that you know we expect to win still? Like, like what do you think it is about Chris Paul that has been able to lift this Oklahoma City Thunder team up? Yeah, I, I think that's a big part of it. I think you know it's sort of cliche, but his leadership really has been important. Uh, just one example of that. So Chris Paul still lives in LA. That's where he is now um, with his family during this quarantine. But when they when they played the Lakers and Clippers in an LA back to back earlier this season, he flew out ahead of the team, but he brought Shea Gilgers Alexander and Darius Baisley with him. And those, those are, you know, probably Shea is gonna be a franchise cornerstone. Maybe at least that's what the Thunder is hoping. And Darius Baisley was their first round draft pick. So he's really taken those guys under his wing. Um, he's been a leader of this team. I, I think on core value He's been extremely efficient. He's got the most points of any NBA player in clutch time this year. Um, and more, more than that, he stayed healthy. This is a guy that, that could not stay healthy with the Rockets. And he only missed one game this year, and that wasn't even to injure him. That was the game following Cookie's death. So being able to stay healthy has allowed him to play at an elite level. And I would, I would still consider his contract to be an albatross just because you don't want to pay a guy $44 million when he's 36 years old. But after this season, there's only going to be two years left on that deal. And I think, it, you know, some teams might be more willing to stomach that deal um, in the Thunder for to, 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 to actually get some assets back um, if they're willing to trade Chris Paul in, in the offseason, which I think they'll definitely be looking to do. Okay, and that's interesting too. So you, you're talking about even though – they, they could have easily been the fourth seed if, you know, that, that Jazz Thunder game goes on. You think Sam Presti and the Oklahoma City Brass would still be willing to trade Chris Paul the next year, even with all the success they've had? Yeah, I, I think I think I'd even go further than saying willing to. I think they'd be actively looking to do that. Um, I think they'll be looking to trade Danilo Gallinari in a sign-in trade. His contract is up at the end of this year. And even Dennis Schroeder or Steven Adams, those guys both have one year's left on their deal. I think I think Sam Presti has complete trust with the ownership group to not just be sort of a middling team and you know, they could run it back next year and, and perhaps get, you know, be a playoff team, be a back end playoff team. But I really think they're building several years in advance. I mean, this is when all these draft picks come to fruition um, from the Clippers, from the Heat, in those separate deals. So, so I, I think they're ready to sit back and play the long game and not really chase sort of back-end playoff contention of bringing Chris Paul or uh, Danilo Gallinari back. I mean, they might. Um, they might be content with that, but I, but I, would, I would be surprised if you know, Chris Paul wasn't involved in a trade this summer. Now, because of his contract, people have made the argument that you won't be able to trade him. Do you think they will be able to find a partner for him? Um, I mean, it, it's always possible. I mean, Russell Westbrook was known to have the worst contract 
uh, in the NBA, and they found a partner for him by getting back another uh, perceived bad contract. Now you can look at it and say, well, perhaps it's worked for both teams at this point. I, I think Miami still makes sense as a potential trade partner if they could get off some money um, and, and maybe send an asset back. But, but you're right. I mean, it's hard. Like, even at the trade deadline, I think they were they were open to fielding calls on just about anybody. And the contract is still, it's still hard to match the money up um, with the team that's available to, to pay it and to stomach it and take the risk. So, so I'm not sure it's going to be easy, but I, I think the calls will definitely be made. Now, what's also interesting, too, is when the trade was announced, I feel like a lot of people are being like, you know, because part of the reason, I don't know how much Chris Paul is actually keen on going to Oklahoma City right away. If you wanted to trade, as soon as he got there, you see stories with Andre Gadagla getting traded to the Memphis, and he's like, no, Moss, I'm not playing. Find a trade partner. How was that conversation kind of like, do you think, between Preston and Chris Paul? How do you think Preston was able to get Chris Paul to buy in to be like, okay, I'm here, have to deal with it, we're going to be the best we can be? Well, I think I think credit goes to Chris Paul because he could have been one of those guys that maybe have wanted to to hold out, um, but apparently that was never part of his plans. I mean, from from all we know, there was no demand to flip him before the season started or for him not to report. He he said he you know went into the situation and was actually encouraged by the team that they had around him, um, and you know the Thunder has built a pretty strong organization. And I think he was willing to, to give it a shot. And the thing that everyone knows about Chris Paul and that I've learned even more this year from covering him is he is just the ultimate competitor. And it's, you know, he's not been on many losing teams in his career, uh, not, not dating back until the very beginning of this Hornets tenure. Um, and, and he just sort of elevates play around him. And, and I think he knows that no matter what team he's on, they're going to be fairly good. And the Thunder has been even better than that this year, being 40-24 and 24, um, before this break and, and being in line to host the playoffs here. Now, I, I kind of want you to take me back to the night that kind of all of this got set in motion. It started with, you know, Kawhi Leonard's going to the Clippers, right? He spurns the Lakers. And then all of a sudden, you know, Twitter explodes and it's like, Paul George is getting traded? And, th- and then it's like... Russell Westbrook's getting in traded. Just kind of explain that period for you. Yeah, so I mean, um, I wish I had a better story about this, but um, I, I found out just like everyone else on my phone, I wasn't even covering the Thunder at the time. I was working for the Oklahoma, but I was actually covering uh, Oklahoma football and basketball. That was my main beat. So we, we had some sort of staff shake up, and then I... I actually didn't get put on the Thunder beat until just before this season started. But just um, as an Oklahoman and as a you know someone who follows sports for a living, it was it was stunning for for everyone to see that you know they thought they were going to run it back from the team that had just lost to the Blazers um, on that dramatic shot from Damian Lillard, and all of a sudden you know Paul George asked for the trade, and then that facilitates the Westbrook trade, and everything is set in motion. They get this treasure trove of job picks. They get Shea Gilgis-Alexander, Danilo Gallinari, um, Chris Paul from the Rockets, and all of a sudden it's a Thunder team that nobody recognizes. I mean, there's never been a Thunder team without Russell Westbrook until this year. And I think it took a 
people a little while to embrace. And now all of a sudden you see people saying, oh, this is like the most fun I've ever had to watch Thunder. And I think a part of it is the style of play. I mean, Russell Westbrook will always be beloved here. He's going to have a statue in front of the arena someday. I mean, but I think that style might have been wearing on people a little bit. And when the Thunder first came here, everyone talked about this was like a college-type atmosphere because Oklahoma had never had a professional sports franchise. And now with these young guys, and with Chris Paul, who played the first two years of his career in Oklahoma City, uh, when the Hornets relocated temporarily after Hurricane Katrina, it, it sort of brought back that that original atmosphere. Uh, so it went from shock to still shock to people slowly started to embrace uh, this new era of Thunder basketball. Now it's also interesting too because. Kind of, you know, one of the prizes of that haul was Shea Gillis-Alexander. So can you just kind of talk about the kind of impact he's helped made? Because he's a really, really good young player. Yeah, he's made a big jump. Um, I'm not a big advocate of second-year players winning most improved player of the year. Um, And that hasn't happened very much, but he would definitely be in that conversation. Um, His minutes have gone way up. His points per game have gone up. He's he's already an elite rebounder for his own his breakout game is at Minnesota. He had 20 points, 20 rebounds, 10 assists. Um, so that was his first career triple-double in pretty dramatic fashion. So he's, you know, the future for him, he's, you never know who's going to be a number one option on a potential championship team. At, at worst, though, I think he could be a number two option. It remains to be seen that he's a long-term point guard. Right now, you know, he's playing very little point guard. Chris Paul and Dennis Schroeder are taking the bulk of those duties. He's playing off ball. He's not a great passer right now. Um, not a great shooter. Has kind of a slow shot, but it's been effective. But he's just so so slippery when getting to the rim and uses that wink. Um, and, and guys really, he plays with such a slow pace that I think he catches guys off guard, but he, um, he, he's really savvy of getting to the rim. And I think um, he's definitely someone they're excited to pull around. But I know Doc Rivers was sad to see him go. Now, and you do kind of mention, right, as a fan of sports, I do want to ask you this. And you're kind. Of, you said you mentioned that you've been with Oklahoma for a little bit. Kind of, what is the perception you think of Russell Westbrook uh, from the Thunder organization? Is it and just people and fans in general? Is it kind of like thank you, you know, for the time? Like, what's the perception of Russell Westbrook there? Uh, I would say it's overwhelmingly positive, um, especially from, you know, hearing from the fans. Now, among some fans, and I think this is a fairly small percentage, he was a fairly divisive figure because, you know, toward the end, his, his shooting numbers had gone way down. Um, style of play, like, like I said, it can kind of wear on some people. And, but overwhelmingly positive and I say that because Russell will forever be known as the star who stayed when, when you look at when you look back at that run of draft picks they had Kevin Durant Russell Westbrook James Harden now James Harden's not at fault he got traded Kevin Durant obviously left in free agency um, to the Golden State Warriors Russell days after Durant announces he's leaving Russell signs an extension and you know would have stayed in Oklahoma City had he not been traded to the Rockets, so 
he I think he is beloved because of that uh, in ways that you know when he came back uh, in his first game with the Rockets against the Thunder there's probably the loudest the arena's got this year him pumping up the fans the fans welcoming him back and it was um, it was probably one of the best environments I can remember so Durant obviously was booed during his return Harden is still booed um, but Westbrook I don't think will ever get to a point where he's booed coming back to Oklahoma City so really Harden is still booed in Oklahoma City yeah, still good. Wow, that is, you, you you know, it's kind of funny because I think if you if you ask most people, what do you think of James Harden? You think of Meadows as a rocket at this point. That that that's that, that that's very interesting. Why do you think there's so much James Harden hate there? Um, I don't know. It, it's it's fairly unfound. I mean, the that that trade is always going to be just picked apart um, in a historical perspective and. And I, I think the Rockets just obviously got the better end of that deal. I mean, they got it. They got an MVP. There's, there's no other way around that. But some fans, you know, some fans think he could have stayed in Oklahoma City if he would have signed a contract. But there was a dispute on whether or not the money was an issue and if the Thunder were willing to pay it. I don't know if anyone ever truly knows the answer. But I think a lot of fans are bitter that he didn't sign. Um, uh, I guess a more cost-effective uh, deal, but I mean, James Harden wasn't even starting for the Thunder. He was coming off the bench. Pablo Cephalosha was the starter, and everyone knew that James Harden um, probably deserved better than that. And it took very little time to figure out that he was um, a superstar, and that Oklahoma City let him get away. So I, I don't know if the fans are bitter about that still, but uh, James Harden is. I mean, I would say he's probably gets booed as much as anybody that, that comes through Oklahoma City. Patrick Beverly gets booed. Um, Even Durant? Or, uh, he gets booed just as much as Durant? You know, I haven't, because I didn't cover him before this year. I mean, Durant wasn't obviously playing for the Nets, but I, I'd, I'd say it's close. I mean, Durant should get booed more, I would say. No, I agree. <laughs> a lot more. I'm James Harden. I'm like, come on, guys. I got traded. Katie just left. <laughs> what? And he wasn't even James Harden when he left. <laughs> Thunder fans are hard on all of their former oh players. Oh, God. Like, uh, like Reggie Jackson. Reggie Jackson gets mercilessly booed when he comes back. Um, and it's like, what do you guys still have against Reggie Jackson? I mean, he wasn't even like a key figure in Thunder history. But it's just, it's just one of those things. Now, this is what I do have to ask you now. So, and you weren't covering the team, but I just want to ask you as a fan, right? So, what were you thinking at the time? Right now when you look at this, how crazy is it for you to be like, at one point in time, Oklahoma City had Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, and James Harden on the same team. And not only that, they never won a championship. Like, like how... When you think about that, like what comes to your mind? Yeah, I mean, it's probably the the greatest run of draft picks ever. I mean, most of them were, were pretty obvious picks. Um, but you just look at it, and, you know, I, I, think, it, I think it's a lesson for um, general managers, for fans, that, like, 
you know, these dynasties that you can predict, I mean, people thought the center would win multiple championships. When they, when they made the finals as a very, very young team uh, and ran into LeBron and the Heat uh, in 2012, it's like, okay, they'll, they'll definitely be back. Well, they weren't back. Um, things, things changed fairly quickly. And, you know, I think that's one of the, one of the struggles of being a small market team is, is holding on to those stars. And, um, but it all ended quicker than anyone could have imagined. So, you know, I think it's just a lesson that, that nothing is automatic. And even when you think, oh man, this is like the greatest compilation of young talent we've ever seen, like it can change very quickly. And the situation um, has to be right. And, you know, it did look like it was in Oklahoma City. And then all of a sudden, it wasn't. So, you know, I, I think there's, I don't know, we're, we're all going to be, um, watching 30 for 30s and reading books about that those young teams and how the heck did they have three MVPs and what happened yeah I don't think people will understand it you know 20 years from now because it's interesting too because just from my perspective I always I was never a fan of the trade because while I, I never thought that Harden would obviously be averaging 37 points a game I I always thought that if he was a starter and he had his own team he could average like 25 a game you know maybe be a a Joe Johnson type of impact player, you know, something like that, you know, maybe if they, oh, Manu Ginobili was always kind of a comparison, like if Manu started for his whole career. Right. So I, I thought, you know, a multiple-time all-star, a really, really good player, right? Like, like that. And that's always, to me, why it was so hard for me to understand why Sam Presti traded him, because I would have to imagine, like, being in that building, you see these guys every day, and even for Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook, and you know, players know best who can play, they're like, this dude, this dude is really freaking good. Like, this isn't a regular six man. So like, how do they let that talent go? Do you think they just didn't know, or was it truly just the money? Um, I don't, I, I really don't know. And I, I think, I, I don't think anyone knows the, the full reason. But I think money was an issue. I think fit was an issue. Um, if they liked the fit better, I think James Harden would have been starting and not coming off the bench. I think part of it was, even though he wasn't in the building, if anyone thought he would turn into an MVP, there's no way um, they let him walk out and, and include him in that train. So there, there's a lot of factors in play. I mean, some of it could have been relationship-based, um, some stuff that we might not know. So I, I don't know. Like, in hindsight, it's hard to rationalize making that trade um, because there's no defense for it. But um, at the time... I think it was safe to say many thought the Rockets won the deal, but I don't know if it was overwhelming. Now you look back, um, and it's one of those, it's, it's a, you know, easy win for the Rockets. So, so I, I don't know. I mean, it's, um, it's something that I mean, we're still talking about it now. I, I mean, that many years removed, which is remarkable. To me, it's the biggest basketball what if the last 20 years. <laughs> Probably is. Yeah, I agree. Because to me, always, if you talk, people talk about KD, Steph, Draymond, and Clay. You're talking about Russell Westbrook, James Harden, and Kevin Durant? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, as far as trades go, I mean, I think it is the biggest what if. Now, you could, you could do a lot of what ifs with the draft. Like, if we want to keep it Thunder related, like, what if the Blazers take Kevin Durant instead of Greg Oden? I mean, that's a big one. Um, but as far as deals, and when you already have the players, it's got to be number 
Now, what I do have to ask you is this, because I, I think this kind of speaks to the organizational structure that the Thunder have. For example, when, when LeBron left Cleveland, you know, they were awful. Then he goes to Miami, you know, and then, then he goes back, they're good. Then he leaves again, and they're, they're still bad, and they're in the abyss. Oklahoma City has been able to go through star after star. star. Harden leaves, they're still good. Ru uh, KD leaves, they're still good. Russell Westbrook leaves, they're still good. Paul George is gone, they're still good. And they've been able to remake themselves in a way that that is, I would say, very difficult for a team to do. So can you just kind of talk about that and say, Presti, Presti, because you could indict him for the James Harden trade, but he's been able to re remake this team in a way I don't think a lot of GMs could. Yeah, I mean, I'm not just saying this because I cover the Thunder, but um, just objectively, Sam Presti is one of the best GMs in the business. And a lot of that, as far as like not ever stripping down to the Cavs level, like post-LeBron, a lot of it, they were able to parlay those stars into other stars. I mean, Stephen Adams isn't a star by any means, but they at least um, were able to get him in, in that in that trade. Started the draft pick. They were able to, um, you know, you know, use, um, you know, they were able to get like Victor Oladipo in a, in a trade for Serge Ibaka. They were able to get Paul George from that. They were able to um, get Chris Paul from this from this Westbrook deal. Shit goes Alexander from the Paul George deal. Danilo Gallinari the same. So. You've got that collection of talent. It's it's easy to stay afloat and get other talent in return. Um, now the trick is these next few years are still, I think, going to be the most tough that this franchise has seen. Because other than when the you know when they moved from Seattle to Oklahoma City in 2008 and were really bad for those first two years, um, the Thunder really have not had a stretch where they've been a bad team. That, that could still be coming. Um, you know, whenever Chris falls off the roster, Gallinari, Adam, Schroeder, like it could turn into a very, very young team with Shea Gilders, Alexander beating them. But because the organization is strong, because players around the league view it quite well in ways they don't view Cleveland well or Sacramento well or the Knicks well, like I think that reputation really helps. And, you know, strong ownership, strong leadership in the front office, um, there's hardly any drama. I mean, they they built it off a very Spursian model, um, and that's a pretty fair comparison. So I, I think that's one of the reasons we haven't seen the Thunder stoop to um, really bad levels, if that makes any sense. No, 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 and I agree, and I, and I think it's really interesting, too, because if you told me in 2010 that they were going to go through all these stars and still be good, you know, it's crazy, but I do think it really does speak to their organizational structure. Now, what I do want to ask you is, right, you mentioned that you're new to the beat with, with the Thunder. What has been your funnest moment covering the team this year? Because it's a lot of younger guys. So I have to imagine there's a funny story that you heard or that you witnessed with these guys. Um, uh, let's, let's see. I, probably one of the most funny things I saw was Stephen Adams is notorious for, let's just say, not having a very good sense of fashion. Um, he wears flip-flops. He wears um, just a big oversized coat, a lot of camo, hair's always all over the place. And Chris Paul had the idea one day of, okay, I'm going to buy everyone's suits, uh, you know, custom-tailored suits for everyone that they got shipped to their homes. And we were all surprised because one day, um, they all come in wearing these wearing these suits, and it's like the first time I've seen Stephen Adams 
were like real shooters and like be put together and they were all just like giving him such a hard time in the locker room so um it, that that was a pretty that was a pretty funny moment but just like the way that Chris Paul interacts with like Shea Gilgis Alexander and Darius Bailey I mean they're always giving each other crap and and uh Shea Shea gives it right back to Chris so that's been a that's been a pretty fun thing to watch but as far as as far as moments I would say Russell's return to Oklahoma City and just the environment of that game was probably the best memory. Okay, and I believe you said you used to cover Oklahoma football? That's right, yeah. Better Oklahoma quarterback, Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield? <laughs> um, golly. I might, I mean, it's it's Baker Mayfield because, uh, I mean, Kyler Murray was, was a one-year deal, but... Kyler Murray's one year was better than any year that Baker had. Um, obviously, both won the Heisman, but um, Baker Mayfield might go down as the best quarterback in the history of, of OU football with the numbers that he put up, even ahead of Sam Bradford, Jason White, and some of the older guys. But Kyler Murray, as far as like, I think he was the most electric player in college football, and um, I'd probably put sing- his single season above um, any of Mayfield's. Now, did you cover the beat there when you were uh, when Baker first got there? Um, I did not. No, so I was there for. I mean, I covered the beat for two years. Um, I was a secondary beat writer, uh, primarily covered basketball. But my two years were um, Kyler's year and, and the Jalen Hurts' year this this past season. But I jumped off the football beat early to join the Thunder beat. Okay. Now I do have my. This is my last football question. I think this is interesting. How surprised were you when you realized, like, like, when did you realize Kyler Murray was just that good? Because I remember, I think they were, might have been playing FAU with Kiffin a couple years ago. It was Kyler's first start, and I was like, this guy is like Lamar Jackson 2.0. Like, it's crazy. Yeah. When were you like, this guy was a backup last year? When was that moment for you? And how shocked were you on a 1-10? Yeah, I, mean, I think it was, it was those, those first games and being held fast he was I, I just the, the speed was incredible and then the arm it was like okay like if, he, if he's this good with his legs he probably can't throw and then you can see just the precision and just his arm strength and I mean but but even towards the latter parts of the year I mean that was I remember talking to to Scott Boris who's you know the renowned baseball agent who was representing Tyler Murray he had been drafted by the A's the A's were very nice and let him play football for one more year um, big mistake because once he played football everyone realized how good he was but even at that time we were writing all of these speculative, speculative pieces of baseball or football baseball or football what's he going to do baseball seems like the safer option but then by the end of the year you know even after um, Alabama beats them in the Orange Bowl it's like man this is this is obvious this guy's going to play in the NFL, and then it became obvious that he was going to be the number one overall pick, and that that A's draft pick was just going to be a waste. So um, he's he's one of the more remarkable athletes. I mean, he's the most remarkable athlete I've covered. Just how good he was at two sports. I guess that's a lesson. Shouldn't have let Kyler Murray play his senior year, his junior year, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Should should not have should not have given. Uh, everyone the chance to see how good he was at football still. Joe, I want to thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me on. And once again, I want to thank Joe for coming on the podcast. I, I really appreciate it. And thank you for tuning into this episode. The 149th episode of Barbershop Sports Talk.